Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebajemra, and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before, and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer, we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're going to find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. Amen. So we are in lesson 13 or episode 13 in a study called Unshaken, Strong in Faith No Matter What. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you've been here before, you know that there's an outline you can follow along in the teaching. I'm going to spend about half an hour going through a chapter here talking about David, who is going, making his way to be the king. I'll give you a little more info on him in a minute. But we are looking at examples of faith in scripture. And if we've ever needed faith, it is now. I want to be unshaken. And the truth is that every day is a battle to be strong in faith. There's not like a quick pill that you can take and for the next six months we're strong in faith. It is a daily exercise of putting our faith in God and hanging on his promises and trusting him to get us through uh, to the other side of this trial. And so I'm excited to see how God's going to use this teaching that I've titled When I'm Up Against a Giant. So thinking about some giants, of course, if you grew up in the church, if you're familiar with scripture at all, then you know the story of David and Goliath. It just is a basic story about a little boy who goes against a giant and God using ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. If you've never heard the story before, you're going to in a minute. I'm going to read through 1 Samuel 17. We're going to come up with uh, three application points. And I believe that as we make our way through the word of God, we will truly find strength to face the giants in our life. And so think about that for a minute. What are the giants in your life right now? There's so many. I mean, you could literally sit down and list pages full. Just jotted down some examples. Uh, you might have family issues. Maybe your marriage is your giant, and maybe you're working through some difficulties now that you are in the face of your spouse 24-7. People are not used to that. Uh, maybe you're facing a trial with your children, and that is your giant. Uh, perhaps it is an addiction in your life that you just struggle, like one step forward, five steps back, and you can't understand why can't God just free you from this addiction. Perhaps it's your singleness or loneliness or, again, just looking at financial problems or a health crisis. You have a giant in your life. And I believe that as we think about Goliath, he is a physical giant, but I want us to think about the giants in our life. Now, remember David. We saw him last week where God had chosen this young boy at the time, a teenager, and God anoints him. And he knows there's a call on his life to become the next king of Israel. Saul is still king. And we left David where he was sort of ministering to the king intermittently with music. And we kind of pick up in chapter 17 where it's he's back to tending sheep. So there's sort of an ebb and flow to his life. It's thought at this point that he's in his early 20s. So, so, so just for context, David is a young man who knows he's chosen to be king already. Like he knows God's purpose on his life. He's got vision. Samuel's anointed him in front of everybody else knows that there's something special with David. He's already sort of stepped into the kingdom, right? I mean, he's playing music for the king. 
but but he's still tending sheep and there's something so powerful about that where you're 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 living for you know living out your calling you're living for the purpose but you're stuck sort of doing what you've done for years before and i think very applicable to us many of us have had dreams and maybe we we're on this on this pathway to fulfilling the things that we thought god was we had for our life and, and by the way, if you're not that person and you didn't know what God had for your life, this might be a season, a gift, where God's saying, all right, let's stop for a minute and let's think, God, what is it that you have for my life? But 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 there is such freedom and joy to see an example in a young man whose life is anointed and chosen and purposed, and yet he's still tending sheep. And so that's the context that we're going to pick up in First Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. It says, now the Philistines, so Israel had uh, this enemy, the Philistines. And so uh, this is not the uh, Palestinians of today. This is back in the Old Testament, different people, but in that general region. So the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And so they were going to battle against uh, the people of Israel. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Demim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. If you've ever taken a tour to Israel, I, I've taken a couple of trips to Israel as a tourist, and, and every tourist who ever goes on a Christian trip to Israel will go to this valley of Elah. It is an actual place, and you can almost visualize the battle. It looks almost like a field where the Gladiator a movie was shot, just sort of an open field, and you can picture that scene right and so uh it, so Saul gathers the men and drew up in the line of battle against the Philistines in verse 3 of first Samuel 17 we're told and the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them and it came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath He's the enemy, all right? This guy's big. And so in the next few verses, we're going to find out about him. His height was six cubits and a span. It's over nine feet tall. If you read commentaries and try to do the math, he had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. I mean, this guy is strong. I mean, my nephew, Micah's strong, but, but, and, and big. This guy's bigger and stronger. I mean, and I wouldn't want to go up against my nephew. And so, so he's, this guy's freaking the people out and, and understandably so. And so he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. He stood, Goliath, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? And so his strategy to discourage his enemy, his strategy to discourage the people of Israel is simply a one four-letter word, fear. He is just driving them into a frenzy of fear. And isn't that what the enemy does to us? The enemy's strategy is always to demoralize us with fear. What could happen? What might happen? And so that is what he does. He taunts them to fear. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? By the way, they were servants of the Lord, but sometimes we forget whose servants we are. And so if you think you're the servant of Saul, you are going to panic and fear. But if you remember who you are, that you are a servant of God, I'm going to see the contrast in a minute with David. So, so, so Goliath says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Again, such a 
common strategy of the enemy to drive us. I love this devotional, Streams in the Desert, and, and there's a couple of devotionals that you come across, and one of them sticks in my mind, because it says that the simplest, the, the almost obvious, the routine sort of strategy of Satan is to drive us into discouragement and despair. If he can get you discouraged through your fears, you're done. And so we're going to see now how the people of Israel responded and how David, what's going on with David. So in verse 12, now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse. We already knew that from chapter 16, but the scripture is repeating to give us again a recollection. And Jesse has eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. By the way, a little tidbit, but remember Jesse was a grandson of uh, Ruth and Boaz. That's kind of cool. I forgot about that. And so, so you know, it's, it, this, when you put these things together, it's kind of fun in scripture. Ruth was a Moabite that she had married into the people of Israel, into uh, the family, of course, of Boaz and, and God, how he redeemed her. And we have a teaching on that early in January. If you want to go find a study of Ruth and Naomi, I think that would encourage you too and how God had worked that out. So now we see Jesse, who's got these eight kids and um, the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Remember, he had played music for Saul, and so he would go back and forth, and he would play music, and then he would go tend the sheep. He still had his everyday job, and for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So for 40 days, just fear, fear, taunting, reviling, come against me, find a man. And so, so that's all the people of Israel are hearing is the voice of the Philistine, the giant, the Goliath. And, and by the way, we're going to talk in a minute, we're going to get into who we're listening to. Keep that thought in your mind. So, so Jesse the, the, says to David, his son, in verse 17, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. So you would check on them. And so he says, uh, David, by the way, reminiscent a bit of Joseph, isn't it? Uh, remember back in Genesis, I think we did this study on Joseph um, in that chapter early on where the dad, Jacob, sends Joseph to check on the brothers and it didn't turn out too well for Joseph initially. And then God worked it out for good eventually. And so now, David, and again, an interesting little tidbit, but do you remember Joseph was a type of Christ chosen by his father and, and to, to eventually he went to save uh, uh, the, his, his brothers, the people of Israel, but he was rejected by his brothers. We're going to see the same pattern here. David is a type of Christ. He's chosen by his father, Jesse, to go and he's going to end up delivering the people of Israel, but he's first about to be rejected, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep reading here. So he says, uh, he tells them what to do. And then now verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went. And just to, to, you know, again, a little detail, but just to indicate he didn't just leave the sheep. He finds a keeper. He's a responsible shepherd. And he goes as Jesse had commanded him. He's obedient to the father's request. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. He's excited. He's young. He's he, he's, he's, he's just, want, you know, I, I'm excited. I'm reading this. There's nothing going on in those days. And there's action here. And so he talks with them. Behold, uh, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All right. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. 
And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And here it is. And we're going to see David's perspective show up again and again. And this is, his words are a reflection of his heart. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David sees well past the size of Goliath. He sees well past the obstacle in his face. He understands that he was brought for this moment for a destiny. Even if he doesn't see his destiny yet, he's about to. Because right now, the question is, somebody needs to do something here. Because this isn't just about Goliath and my brothers or the people of Israel. This is bigger than that. This is about God and evil. And so the people, so he wants to know, well, what's the deal here? So the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills them. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? And he just like, looks down and like, you're like just a little shepherd. Who do you think you are? He says, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And, and, and this is powerful. I circled it as I was reading this text again. It jumped out. He turned away from him towards another. When, when you hear that, we're going to go in a minute about the words that we hear. But David's response is so logical. He turns away from that which he should not be focused on. And so he turns away from those words. And he asks again. And the people answered him again as before. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, and again, every time David speaks, you need to underline this in your Bible. David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For, for he, here's his reasoning, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I think Saul was out of options at this point. He would have taken anyone. So Saul it, we're going to read a little bit more, and I'm going to give you some application questions, uh, comments. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested him. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I've not tested them. So David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the rook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Am I? The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Underline that. 
The day the Lord will deliver you into, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. This is awesome. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head. It wasn't done until he took his head off because just to kill him with a, put a stone in his head wasn't the end of it. So he was going to complete this task. David was a brave young man who trusted the Lord. And, and, and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Saul was astounded. He says, as soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. This is an awesome, awesome chapter. I, I, I think it's worth reading these stories. They may be stories that you may have heard as a youngster in Sunday school, but I'm telling you, the story has powerful truths for you and me today. And you've already, I'm sure, as I've read through it, picked up on a lot of the themes here. Let me try to summarize to you some of the thoughts that I've put together on this. Number one is this. What you believe when you're up against your giant will always determine how you act. What you believe when you're up against your Goliath will always determine how you act. The people of Israel, the brothers of David, believed that the giant was stronger than them. They believed that they were unable to overcome in this battle. They believed that maybe God had forsaken them. We don't know. They don't even talk about God. But we know what David believes because he says it. David over and over again reflects the belief that he is in this place for a reason, anointed and chosen by God to face this obstacle. There was not an accident that God had sent him here. We see it because he puts himself in the way of this battle. And so just some thoughts under this big point. What you believe when you're up against your giant will determine how you act. Here's a sub point. If you believe that your present giant is part of your God-given destiny, you will find the courage to face that giant. See, most of us actually surprised by our giants and we act sort of, I, I, it happens to me a lot. I, I get an obstacle, a giant in my life. And my first inclination is to be like, God, why did you allow this? God, are you oblivious to my pain? God, where are you? When all along, God has allowed the obstacles in our life in order to give us an opportunity to test who he is. Now, again, that doesn't, there are times when, when things happen that everything is under control of God. We've talked about that. And we've talked about suffering, but, but does God cause Goliath to come? We, we're not going to get into that tonight, whether he causes it or not, he is in control of it in order to prove to us who he is. And the difference between David and the brothers is that they did not believe God. Their eyes were fixed on their giant, whereas David's eyes were fixed on his God. 
And, 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 and the whole battle in the Christian life is to fix our eyes on the word of God, is to stand on the promises of God, is to take our eyes off of our giants and fix them on, on that which is bigger than our giants. And so if you believe uh, that God's plan for his people is bigger than yourself, then you will find the courage you need to face the giant in your life. And so David was never restricted in his vision. He never saw the problem as Goliath against the people of Israel. He saw a bigger broader spectrum of what was happening here. He saw the unseen. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 10. He talks about the unseen battle that we wage. In Ephesians 6, he talks about it also, the spiritual warfare. But I'm telling you, we, as long as you see in the natural realm, you will not find the courage that you need to fight the battle that is yours for the taking. And so the entire uh, army of Israel failed to look past their giant. But David's eyes were above the giant to the living God. You say, how? Well, we read about the lion and the bear. And so, and so when you think about what you believe, as you walk with God, you build experiences that are not meant to be isolated experiences of the past. They are meant to be a building of a repertoire in your life of a story where God is showing you who he is, teaching you who he is, giving you confidence in who he is, so that the same God who got you through the past trials in your life is with you in these trials and is giving you the confidence to continue to trust him for the future. That's the place of the lion and the bear. So if you believe that the same God who brought you this far will carry you through, you will find the courage to face your giant. And so we go into the details of the story where David says to Saul, look, here, here's what I know. I was a kid and I had the sheep and there came against me a lion and a bear and God allowed me to wrestle down the lion and the bear with my hands. And that God, so, so David's faith is not blind. I mean, David, David, his faith is built on experience with God. And now there comes a point early in your life where you, you put your faith in God, you call upon him, he's your Lord, you see him for who he is, you, you understand that he gave his life for you. But over and over again in the Christian life, we are to build stones of remembrance, so to speak. And for David, those stones included a lion and a bear. And for him, he had the utter confidence, not in his own strength, but in this God who brought him to this moment, David knew that he had been anointed for king. He knew that it wasn't time yet for him to step into it. It would take years before he would become the king. But David trusted the journey that God had him in. And he saw this thread of God working in his life as he faced the giants in his life. What is it that you see when you look at your life? Do you see a giant? Is your eyes focused on your addiction? Are your eyes focused on the person that's the problem in your life? Or are you able to step back from it and lift your head a little and say, God, I see you and sit down tonight and write in your journal the things that God has done in the past to get you where you are today so that you have the confidence to carry it through the next day. So what you believe when you're up against your giant will determine how you act. A small little tidbit, we talked about typology earlier in the teaching. And so you think about David being a type of Christ and we'll see that a lot in the life of David. And so, and, we'll, and I'll make a big application at the end, but even here when he describes he's with the sheep and the sheep are threatened by the lion and the bear and the shepherd protects the sheep. When the lion and the bear come to eat the sheep, he, he, he goes after the lion and the bear. He wrestles them. Why? To protect the sheep. And so this picture, put it in your mind, because remember, we are the sheep and Christ is our shepherd. And if Christ goes to the extent of coming after us, he doesn't let the, oh, you know, one less sheep, let the lion take that sheep. No, that is not the way of the kingdom of God. That is not the way of our loving king. If you're in the clutches of a lion and the bear, Christ is fighting for you. And so you might just need to hear that today. 
Maybe you feel like you're in the clutches of a lion right now. Well, there's a greater lion. He's the lion of Judah who will come after you. Of course, in the New Testament, we're given the parable of the, um, of the shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep. Nothing stops God from going after us. I've experienced that in my life. And then it, it, sometimes it feels like a lion. It might not be an actual lion, but you might feel like you're in the clutches of a problem so big. And you think, man, how can I get myself out of it? Well, you don't need to. You've got a shepherd who's going to come and fight for you. You just trust him. And so that's point number one, when you're up against your giant, how to, how to stand unshaken. Well, what you believe will determine how you act. So review your beliefs today. Are they based on the truth of God's word? Are they based on the experience you've had with the Lord? And number two, who you listen to when you're up against your giant is a challenge you must be ready for, all right? Who you listen to is a challenge. We have so many voices coming at us. We've already discussed this in, 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 in prior lessons. Like one of the best and worst things of our culture right now, I mean, best in that we're so connected through social media, we get news very quickly, but it's also a bad thing because we're so inundated with noise, 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 noise. I mean, one of the blessings is, look, we, we're able to have a Bible study virtually. So, so I, you know, I, I'm not that person who's like, well, social media, abolish it. No, we wouldn't be having this online meeting if we didn't have these tools. But, but the, the, the dark side of it is the voices that are coming at you. You say, what kind of voices? Well, well it, all sorts of voices, but I find what's even more troublesome than, than just the general voices around us are the voices of those that we expect to encourage us. And so, so jot this down. Um, while it's hard to hear criticism, it's even harder to receive criticism from those you expect to support you. One of the big questions that comes up in a Christian life is, man, is this how Christians are supposed to act? So often our deepest pains are by the very people that we expect to trust us. The same thing can be said within the context of families. So much of our woundedness happens very much not with some stranger speaking lies to us. I mean, you can shove those off. They affect you. I mean, I remember writing books in the past and I'll accidentally see an Amazon review that isn't a five-star review and I'm like, oh, they hate me. Maybe you can shove it off but it's the people you love and respect. So here's David who shows up innocently, helping his brothers. He brings them lunch and snacks and he's asking about their well-being and he just asked the question, what's happening? And they come after him and they're haters. And, 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 and so you say, why, why, what was happening here? Well, well, a lot is happening, but, but just keep in mind this. So while, you know, again, number one is uh, the sub point for, for big point number two is while it's hard to hear criticism, it's harder when it comes from those that you expect to support you. But here's another follow-up thought. While it's hard to understand why haters will hate, it's important to to remember the heart issues, the heart issues behind their words. And so think about the brothers of, of David. I mean, there's a lot going on here. If you have siblings and the little brother comes and first of all, they were present when he was anointed to be king and he was the youngest of the brothers. So was there jealousy there? We don't know. We don't know enough about them, but I have siblings and I think sibling rivalries and jealousies exist. I think we can all acknowledge that. So there's that. There's also the sense that he's the youngest and now you've got the oldest who has not stepped up to battle. And so they see the youngest coming to show them up. So maybe there's some pride issues that have taken place place. Maybe there's some insecurity issues. Maybe there's fear. Maybe what's coming out of the mouth is simply driven by fear. All this to say that when people criticize you and you're tempted to respond to that criticism or to let it defeat you, remember that there's a heart behind those words that might be themselves wounded or hurt or sinful and on and on and on. Now that doesn't excuse it, 
but it puts it in a framework where you're able to process it. And so what David does is key. I told you to underline it before in verse, um, in verse 30 of chapter 17. When he heard it, he had a decision to make. Do I receive the criticism? Imagine most of us, if we were going to do something brave and somebody says to us, dude, you're crazy. You're not going to do this. I'd be like, oh man, I'm such a, I'll tell you the truth in a moment of complete openness. I'm that person who would be like, oh, I'm such a loser. They're right. I should never write a book. I should never speak. I should never do that. I should, I can't do it. Yeah, fail before. And, 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 on, and next thing I'm like, see you guys later. Bye. Here's a snack. Cheese on me. You know, I'm out of here, but not David. And the difference about David is that he knows who he is. He's so confident in his identity. He's so confident in the Lord, his God, who has brought him to this moment. He sees, like I mentioned earlier in the, in the lesson, he sees that this is his destiny, that God has played a part in allowing him to see the death of the lion and the bear in order to bring him to the point where he is going to go and fight on behalf of his brothers. So Christ-like. And... Uh, while it's hard to hear criticism, you must determine to let God's voice be louder. It has, God's voice has to become the loudest voice in our head. You say, how does that happen? You hear it by listening. You hear it by making space in your life where you uh, quiet down the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. Man, I know that, you know, we talk about social distancing. Some of you, this is a gift of a chance where you're not, there's a lot of time that you could be spending with others that now you're not. Build in practices, disciplines that allow you to hear the voice of God and you do it by tuning into the word. I don't need to tell that to you guys who are listening. You're here because you want to tune into the voice of God. So as you're facing your giants and you're hearing these lessons, these are the words of his book, this book, the words of God are what needs to take root in our heart. That's why I listen to sermons. That's why I listen to worship songs. That's why I review those things that I need to hear. And I notice in my life that when I'm not intaking God's voice into my life regularly is when I face discouragement and when I want to check out and let the giants defeat me. And so who are you listening to? The voices that come at you could be very close to you, people you expect to support you. How many spouses can tell stories of like, man, you wish it was different, but it's your very spouse that's speaking to you things that are hurtful or your kids. They're like, really? Or, or maybe you're the kid and your parents were, were, were negative and destructive, maybe, whether they knew God or not. And it's worse if they didn't know God and you were in that environment. And yet God's voice is louder and it is the voice of love and it is the voice of victory and it is the voice of one who has chosen you to be in this place in this time for a reason you are loved you are chosen not, not because i'm telling you this but because god's word has told us this you are invited into the presence of god through his son jesus this that is a personal invitation for you if you've never heard it before that might be the reason god has allowed you to tune into this now question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to listen to that voice? And as Revelation says, open the door of your heart so that Christ may come in. And by the way, though that is sometimes used symbolically as salvation, you know, you know Christ standing at the door of your heart to knock in Revelation chapter 3, but, but also this picture of daily communion, daily war in the Christian life, daily battle against sin, daily, all of these things where you, you just want to you know, say, God, I invite you. You are the one that I'm going to listen to. 
and six-year-old Sam was teaching me this week, and I think he's been struggling with some, you know, sin issues, and a six-year-old would. Of course, many of us understand the struggle in our own sin issues, but he was telling me, you know, Lena, out of the blue, he came over to my house, he must have just gotten out of some, you know, discipline issue with his mom, and you're going through a lot of that now, and, and, and if any of you have kids in the home, I know you understand that there's a lot more of that happening, and, and he says to me, out of the blue, he says, you know, Lena, the best way you can say no to sin, the best way you can stop sinning, this is six-year-old Sam gets it. He says, when, when you're tempted to lie or to do the things, that you just say, no, Satan, I don't want you in this space. I am a follower of Jesus, and I'll follow him. And I thought, man, if a six-year-old can get it, that is the battle daily for us to open the door of our hearts and say, God, this is your space. This is your heart. This is your home. You belong here, and you've already won the victory, and so identify with who you are already in Christ. And so so often the secret to our victory is remembering who we are in Christ, whose voice are you listening to. So what you believe, who you listen to, and then number three, how to stand unshaken in the face of your giants. Last point, what you wear when you're up against your giant makes all the difference in the world. And so we see this, this, this part of the story in the second half of the chapter where Saul puts on David the armor and it's like symbolic of the armor of the world, the strategies of the world, the ways that the world would tell you this is how you succeed this is how you grow and, and David puts it on at first and then he realizes like I can't do that and so he literally has to choose do I wear this armor that was given to me or do I dress with the armor that God has given me and so he has to remove put off that which the world has given him and say I'm going to walk into the armor that God has given me and I'd like to teach on the armor as we do the in the, in the 2021 as we teach on, on, on spiritual warfare we're going to talk more about the armor but for now if you are interested in God's word and what it's says you might want to jot down Ephesians 6 if you're looking at it, you say man okay I want the armor of God what does that look like go to Ephesians 6 and start walking through the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit the the, the belt of truth and and, and the, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace God has given us an armor to fight the giants in our life and so the question for you and me is what are we wearing are we going to battle against spiritual forces and giants in our life with the ways of the world, with the, with the strategies of the world? Or are you waking up, Christian, to the fact that we're fighting an unseen battle and that often the most uh, destructive thing to the enemy in our battle is truth and, and joy and peace and those things that are given to us. So, so while man's armor might look good, God's armor is what wins fights and battles. And while man's armors might feel safe, it's big, it's hefty, it might feel safe. God's protection is true safety. And so, so David never trusted the armor. It wasn't about what he wore. It was who was protecting him. And, uh, and it, wasn't, you know, it wasn't the magic stone that won the battle. And over and over again, David reiterated his faith that it was, in fact, my, one of my favorite verses, and this is a good meditative place for you over the course of the next couple of days. Uh, in verse 45, David says to the Philistine, to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. It is the name of the Lord that is his victory. You think about the weight of that name. You say, what does that mean? Like, what is the name? It's not like the name Jennifer or John or Sylvia. No, the name of God is who he is. It is our authority as we fight the battles in our life. It is understanding. I just was Googling a little bit, and I got to thinking, man, I want to teach on that soon too. But, but not just the attributes of God, but the names of God. Who is God? He is El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. He is El Elyon, the Most High God. He is Adonai, Lord Majesty. 
master. He is Yahweh, Lord Jehovah. He is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. He is the Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, the Lord that heals, uh, Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. He is El Olam, the, everlast the everlasting God. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. He is Je Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. So David comes with the authority, the power of the name of the Lord. It wasn't his armor. It wasn't his outfit. It wasn't his, his stones that were magic stones or fast stones or five or one. And there's all kinds of theories of what well, it was the first stone he took, but it wasn't the stone. It was the Lord who won the battle. And you can go around and around and, and, uh, and you can try strategy after strategy. But if you would start and if I would start to see our battles as bigger than just flesh and blood and as already won by Christ on our behalf, how much joy and victory and stability we would have in our life. And so, uh, just to wrap up, so while man's armor might inspire the awe of man for a moment, God's armor leads to actual awe forever. So man was in awe of the giant for a moment. They were all like, whoa, this giant is so awesome. And that lasted for a moment, but God's awe was forever. And from that battle, he said, what happened at the end of this chapter? Well, David did not become king right then and there. David still had some training to do. And so he uh, left and he goes back to Jerusalem and Saul asks about him. Um, but for years to come, Saul would be known to kill his thousands and David his ten thousands. And the reputation of David to this day remained that he was a man after God's own heart. The secret to his battle and to victory was not his own strength, but the strength of the Lord. Now, let me add a layer to it. It's easy to come to this chapter as we conclude here. It's easy to come to this chapter and see ourselves in David. And, and growing up, I sort of identified with that. I'd be like, oh, I'm David and there's a giant and, and I'm going against a giant and God, I've got these five stones and I don't need the outfit of the world and you're the one who's gonna win the battle, I'm coming to you. And there's a layer of this story that translates into that. But biblically speaking, when you look at the narrative of the Bible, the story isn't that we are David. The truth of the matter that we are the brothers of David much like the story of Joseph and his brothers. While there are lessons that we can apply for our own lives from the life of Joseph, the truth is that we are the ones who reject the truth, who are cowering in fear, whose eyes are fixed on our giants. But we have a savior, remember David and Joseph, both against great examples of a type of Christ who steps in, sent by the father, chose by the father, who uh, comes to deliver the brothers who don't want him, much like Jesus who came into his birthplace and, 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 and he came from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, and who was rejected by his own brothers and would go on to save them by dying for them. Here, of course, David doesn't die. He wins the battle, but again, a type of Christ, of somebody who has stepped in, whose name is Jesus, to win the battle for you and for me. So that as we face our giants, we have the confidence that there is a Christ who has died for us, who has given everything for us so that we can walk victoriously. So what is the giant you're facing today? You had that at the beginning of the session. What do you believe about your giant and your God? Who are you listening to in this narrative? And what are you dressed with as you battle those fierce battles in your life? Will you rest in the knowledge that Christ has already won the battle? Victory's ours. We're fighting from the place of victory. We're not fighting for victory. We already have victory in Christ. Now will we rest in peace and joy and rejoice. The end of the story is one of rejoicing. And the brothers, after the victories won and Goliath dies, that wasn't the end of the story. They had to go after the enemy. They had to get the plunder. And so you and I have work to do. We have to continue victoriously 
in the work that God has put us here on. We are here for a reason, COVID or no COVID, problems or no problem, election year or no election year. Listen, we are here for a reason. Yeah, it's discouraging right now. Yeah, it's gone on and there's a lot of noise in the background, but we know that there's more going on than meets the eye. So will we live like that so that those around us feel the hope of Christ in us and are able to rejoice that there is more in this life than that which we see with our naked eyes. That is the hope that we have, to stand strong and unshaken in this day and in this age.